0: Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeancony.org. Now let's join this week's service, Already in progress. I am a sucker for those old songs with lots of words in them. I just am, so I appreciate when Luke picks those out. And two and one Sunday is even better for me. So um, We're going to be... I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 55, uh, the last uh, from 6 to the end of the chapter. And um, want to spend a bit of time looking at this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Isaiah 55, or you can follow along on your bulletin. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this chance to come together and into your presence through Jesus Christ and worship and sing. We thank you, Lord, for stirring up our hearts this morning. Uh, so often you do that, God, as we sing. We may come in here just feeling somewhat dull spiritually. We get up a little earlier on the, than we might normally on a weekend and we come, come in here with others and sing songs and, uh, but Lord, thank you that you are faithful to stir our hearts up and fill our hearts, uh, to overflowing with joy in you. And so, Lord, I pray that this, Time in your word would only be a continuation of what you've already been doing. It just would be an act of worship that we would worship over your word now. God, so come now, I pray, in the name of Jesus, by your spirit, and speak to us and impact us and change us. God, give us a high regard for your word this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old cliche, no doubt you've heard it before that talk is cheap. Ever heard that? Of course you have. Uh, It's it's the idea that words don't carry much weight. Show me the action behind it. And if you've ever uh, been with somebody or encountered somebody who gives you their word and doesn't follow up from what they say, then you know that in a sense this is true. If someone's a good talker but never follows through, then talk for that person is cheap. It's like, show me some action. However, this, this cliche does not apply to God. It applies almost universally. I mean, all, all of us say things that we sometimes can't back up or we have before. But with God, this cliche is totally false. And precisely because God's words are living and active and breathing and powerful. And also because when God speaks, he makes sure to perform what he speaks. He doesn't speak and then hope that things work out so that what he says comes to pass. Doesn't doesn't hope that all these other circumstances and situations actually line up like he hopes they will, like we do. No, no, God speaks and then he makes sure that what he says comes to pass. The Bible itself, being God's word, speaks highly of God's word, obviously, right? And this morning, my aim is that. And we are Christians, right? And we at least would say that we value God's word highly. This morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you. And I want to speak God's word in such a way that when you leave here, and even while you're here this morning, you would feel this esteem for God's word elevate and increase in your life. God's word the bible speaks very highly of God's words it, it does this in both the old testament and the new from genesis to revelation we get this idea that God thinks of his words very highly and we should too for instance in numbers chapter 23 this is, I'm just going to give you a few instances numbers 2319 says God is not a man that he should lie nor is he the son of man that he should change his mind does he speak and will he not do what he says of course he will the psalms all over the place give us this idea this this sense that God values his word very highly but one example that i think is about as good as it can get is Psalm 119 verse 160 that says the sum of your word O God is truth. And then of course Jesus skipping forward to the New Testament in the desert when he's being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4 the devil comes to him and tempts him to turn bread into excuse me to turn a stone into bread as he's fasting and had been fasted for 40 days and Jesus Using the word says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we don't need to turn any further than the book of Isaiah. And we don't need to turn any further than these chapters we've been covering the last several weeks. Isaiah's chap- chapters 40 to 55, we're going through the end of the book. But chapter 40 to 55 um, are, are chapters written specifically to Jewish exiles in Babylon. Babylon. And bracketing this amazing section of scripture, Isaiah forty to fifty-five, we see two of the most extraordinary statements of God's word in all the Bible. First, in Isaiah forty verse eight, you guys have heard this before, probably. It says, "Where though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever." And then here in Isaiah fifty-five, it says this. My word shall not, God's word will not return to him empty, but it will go forth and it will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. These are two of the most often quoted Bible verses referring to God's word in the Bible. And they're meant to give us comfort. And they were spoken to the Jewish exiles to give them comfort. The grass withers, the flowers fade, things are going to fade away. All that you see outside today, it's going to fade away. And so are you and I. But God's word will stand forever. It will stand the test of time. And here today, God does not send his word out superfluously to no end. No, he sends it out and it will accomplish what it was sent out to accomplish. So we should, since the Bible itself commends a high esteem for God's words, we should highly esteem God's word. And God's words as well. And not just in some passive way, like, well, Christians, this is what Christians believe. They believe that this book is God's word, and so we're going to go on our merry way and have good doctrine about what the Bible is. No, it should, it should heavily impact us. It should, the the truth that these are God's words should land on us as a weighty thing. That when we open up this book, we are, God Himself is addressing us as human beings made in His image. So, we should value highly God's words. We should value highly God's word given to us in the scriptures. So this morning I want to give you three reasons why we should highly esteem God's word. The first is that by His word, God comes near to us. By his word, God comes near to us. First, we see in this text that there is this massive separation between God and man. I want you to see this connection between verses 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, and then how that connects to verse 10 and 11. This is important to see because in our world, secular humanism wants to remove this massive separation between God and man man. But the Bible won't let us. Verses 6 and 7 says this. It starts off our text by saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Then it says this, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Then verse 8 says this, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, or excuse me, neither are your ways my ways. So God says, wicked people need to forsake their ways and thoughts because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Then God shows just how different our ways and thoughts are from his when he says this in verse 9. He tells us how far away his thoughts and ways are from ours. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This idea of the heavens being higher than the earth, it's a figure of speech that God is using to denote, there's this infinite gap between our ways and our thoughts, and God's ways and his thoughts. It's similar to when God's, uh, when Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. How far is east from the west? It's an infinite distance. God has removed our transgressions. How much higher is the heavens than the earth? Don't just think, well, I can see the clouds up there, so, oh, maybe a thousand feet. No, no. It's a figure of speech saying, there's an infinite distance between God's ways and his thoughts, and your ways, and your thoughts that originate in your mind, and heart, and your life. There is an infinite chasm between God and man. We, by nature, are unrighteous and wicked. And therefore, our thoughts and our ways are wicked and unrighteous. God, on the other hand, by nature, is holy and pure and righteous in all his ways and thoughts. I love that song, holy, holy, holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory cannot see. Well, that was you and I at one time, right? Because by nature, our ways and thoughts were wicked and unrighteous. And God's is holy and pure, altogether righteous and perfect. And therefore, there is this infinite chasm between God and man. And we need to know this and we need to hear this. Because in our culture, in our day and age right now... I remember hearing David Wells, who's a theologian, wrote a book called um, Above All Earthly Powers. And he says there's a new religion in America. And it's that everybody has their own religion. Whatever they think about God is true for them. And of course, that's, that's just Oprah religion, right? God is close to me, and I'm close to him, and everything's okay, and there's no distance. There's no chasm between God and us, between God and man. Well, the Bible says that there is, and it's an infinite chasm. So what are we to do? Is there any hope? Yes, there is. There's great hope. Because as we keep reading, we see this connection. Verse 10 says this, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth... Verse 11, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth. There's this massive chasm, infinite chasm between you and me and God. And what happens? He sends his word like rain from heaven. He sends his word like snow from heaven and it comes down to earth. Yes, God is higher, so much higher than us, infinitely higher than us, out of our reach. We can't reach him by our thoughts and our ways. But he sends his word. And more than just sending his word, like, like we might send a long distance letter to somebody. You know, it ha- it's, it, it, it's part of us in a sense that we wrote it, May we sign our name to it, and we put our heart into it. But God isn't just sending a long distance letter, but he actually comes to us by his word god almighty god comes to us by his word he comes like rain he comes like snow from heaven down to earth first samuel chapter 3 verse 21 has this amazing verse it says this and the lord appeared again at shiloh for the lord appeared to samuel at shiloh by the word of the lord He appeared to Samuel. He appeared to Samuel. How did he appear to him? By the word of the Lord. He came to Samuel. He appeared to him. He showed up, you might say. How? By his word. So God bridges an infinite chasm. The message of Christ, of course, is the word that spans this infinite chasm and connects us with almighty God. Think about this with me for a moment. When you and I open up God's word. When we open up the Bible. And I would say anywhere in the Bible. Of course we might seem easier to connect with God in say the book of John. Than in the book of Leviticus. But it's all God's words. When we open up the Bible. God himself. Because this is the God breathed scripture. God himself not only speaks to us, but comes to us. When you sit under the preaching of God's Word, and as we seek to communicate God's Word clearly and accurately, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God comes to you and I. So the first reason why we should highly esteem God's Word is because God comes near by his word, you might say, God comes down by His word. One thing we pray for often in our uh, monthly prayer meetings together is that we just we pray for revival. We pray that God would come and visit this church and this city and His church here. And the history of revivals—not that I'm a historian on revivals by any means—but there is one of a few common things that happens when God shows up, you might say, is that oftentimes powerful preaching is used and all the time men and women and children's esteem for God's word is elevated. Always when God shows up. May that happen here. Number two, not only does God come near by his word, but God's word brings life. Look at verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, okay, we've already looked at that, and does not return there, but brings water to the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So as the rain and snow come down from heaven, verse 10 says it does four things. Not one thing. I said, God's word brings life God wants to draw this analogy out for us. God's word comes down like rain and snow from heaven, and it does four things in our text. It brings water to the earth. It causes the earth to bring forth and to sprout. It gives seed to the sower, and it gives bread to the eater. God draws this analogy out. I think it's amazing that God, he could just say, uh, my word will water the earth. It'll bring great refreshment to the earth. It will bring life to the earth. But he He intentionally draws this analogy out because he wants you and I to think a certain way about God's word. He wants you and I, he wants spiritual taste buds to spring up within us when we read this. So it does four things. God's word does four things. It waters the earth. It comes to us like rain on parched ground. God's word comes down like rain on parched ground. I think of our memory passage this month. Uh, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul faints for you. My body, see, my, my soul longs for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water and then God's word comes down like water god comes down like rain on parched ground i know out in southern california they didn't get rain forever this summer and then all of a sudden there was a downpour it's like it's like that it's like a downpour on thirsty ground and the ground is just ready to soak it up but it's more than that It also makes the ground bring forth and sprout. It makes the ground ready to be fruitful, ready to give forth vegetation and bear fruit. I think it's Psalm 1. The man who meditates on God's word day and night. What's he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And he brings forth fruit in its season. And his leaves don't wither. And in everything he does, he prospers That's what God's Word is like. Causes us, causes ground to bring forth and sprout. Causes your heart to bring forth and sprout. It gives seed to the sower. It causes such bounty that there's seed for the sower for next year's crop. And it gives bread to the eater. God's Word is like fresh, scrumptious, delicious bread. It's no accident that God draws this analogy out. He wants you and I to be hungry for his word. He wants you and I to have a hunger for the word of God, a hunger similar to Jeremiah, who said this in Jeremiah 15. Let me turn there. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. He wants his words to be something that we long for, something that we can't get enough of. Like David, who said this in Psalm 19 regarding God's words, more to be desired are they than fine gold, excuse me, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Let me ask you a question. When you think of God's word being like delicious bread, do you see it that way? When you think of, because as Christians we think, well, we probably should read, read God's word, right? We probably should open up the Bible and read it. But oftentimes it seems like more of a chore and more of a dry duty than something like, I'm going to get some fresh bread today. I'm going right now. To fill my soul with fresh spiritual bread. Do you see it that way? God would have that you would see God would have you see it that way. That His word would be so sweet to you. When we gather on Sundays and we sit in the preaching, it'd be sweet to you to hear it. But also when you're at home by yourself, that you'd open up God's word and receive the nourishment and the joy and the freshness of God's word like fresh bread to the eater Oh that we would be a Bible saturated people who see God's Word this way it's my prayer for myself it's my prayer for, for you it's my prayer for us as a church it was said of John John Bunyan the guy he wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress it's what he's noted for writing he, it was said of him that if you pricked him with a pin, he would bleed the Bible. He, was so, he meditated, on, meditated on God's word. He read God's word. He prayed over God's word. He spoke God's word. He, he just was so full of God's word. The fruit-bearing potential of those who will fill their minds and hearts with God's word are limitless. Limitless. But there is barrenness, spiritual barrenness, for those who belittle the word of God, whose Bibles remain shut and who do not receive God's words. If there's one thing, if there's one thing that I long for and pray for as much as anything for us as a church is that we'd be men, women, families, and a church that loves the Spirit-inspired scriptures. And I deliberately said spirit-inspired scriptures. Because I'm not, in any way, I don't want to give any impression I'm pitting the Holy Spirit against the Bible. There's no category for that in the Bible, and there isn't in my mind either, that we would love what God the Holy Spirit says through the Bible. Number three, the reason why we should highly esteem God's word is because the word of God is triumphant. It's victorious. Verse 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, I'm repeating verse 10, and does not return there, but waters the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11. So shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I love this verse. God's word shall accomplish. God's word shall succeed. This is the guarantee of everything else in this chapter. Those that come at the beginning, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, come freely and partake and have your fill. How do we know that's true? Because for those who come, God will accomplish the filling and the satisfying and the giving. This is the guarantee of everything else in the Bible. Every promise of God in the Bible is given to us in Christ. And this is the guarantee of the promises of God, that God will not only make promises that he may or may not be able to fulfill, but he makes promises and then accomplishes. And succeeds. Remember two weeks ago. In Isaiah 54.17. When it says. No weapon fashioned against you. Shall succeed. But every promise of God. To you in Christ. Shall succeed. God's word that goes out of his mouth. God's word that comes to us. Through the scriptures. It comes to us. And it will not return to him empty, but it will accomplish what he purposes it to accomplish, and it will succeed in what it was sent to to succeed in. And what is God's aim in sending his word? What does God want to succeed? What does does God want to succeed in? Why does he send his word? What will he accomplish in giving his word? We're told in verse 12 and 13. We're told three things. Amazing things. Let these things soak in. What is God aiming at in sending his word to you and I? One thing he's aiming at is your eternal joy, and peace. Your eternal joy and peace. Have you ever considered that the Bible was written for your joy? The Bible was given to us for our joy. I don't mean flimsy happiness that's here now and will be gone by the time you get to your car. I mean your eternal joy in God. And your eternal peace. Listen to what verse 12 says. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The very mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. God gives us his word for our joy. Jesus said this in John 15. He says, everything that I've said to you, I've said so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. But he's also aiming at this. And these are all totally interconnected so you can't divide them in some neat, tidy way. But he's also after your fruitfulness. He's also after... Your fruitfulness. The beginning of verse 13 says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Instead of barrenness, instead of thorn-infested hearts and lives, our lives are meant to bear fruit. They're to be like luscious green gardens that are bearing fruit through God's word. And the third thing God wants to accomplish, which I think encompasses the other two, is that God wants to make a name for Himself? God wants to make a name for Himself. The end of verse thirteen says, and it shall make a name for the Lord. What's it? It's the same thing that it is talking about in verse eleven when it says when God says it shall not return to me empty, but it shall go out and accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And it, God's word, shall make a name for the Lord. God's word is going out to God's people and making a name for him as it transforms us into joyful, holy, fruitful people. Amen? as we are becoming more and more like Christ, transformed as the Holy Spirit of God takes this word and plants it in our heart, brands it upon our soul, takes out the old, puts in the new, and we become more like Christ. What is God doing? He's making a name for Himself. When our lives declare with our words and our actions how glorious God is through a changed life, The Word, God's Word, with its life-creating, joy-producing, fruit-bearing work is making a name for the Lord. The joy of His people who hear and believe His Word and rejoice in the God who speaks and the fruit-bearing holiness of God's happy people make a name for God in the world and into eternity. So, how can you and I benefit from God's word in this way? Is anybody here? Is anybody here saying, I hear what you're saying, but when I open God's word, I just, I don't feel like God comes near. And I just don't, I don't benefit the way you're talking about in this passage, or the way that I should benefit from what you're saying. And, I don't see God's word triumphing in my life like you're saying it should and does. Like God says it should and does. Anybody here saying how do I benefit like that? How do I get that? How does it become joy to me? Well, I say, me too. I mean I want to see it like this more. I want to hunger for God's word more. I want God's word to transform my life more. I want to bear fruit because God's word is living and breathing and acting and powerful in me more. I want, when you prick Josh DeGroat, I want to bleed the Bible. So how do we benefit from God's word in the way that I've talked about so far? I have four things. You might call this application, okay? Number one, this is probably most urgent. Seek the Lord. Forsake your ways and your thoughts. Forsake your ways and your thoughts. It's the most natural thing in all the world to think that our thoughts and our ways are right. Right? it's the most, let me say it again, it's the most natural thing. Now, I'm not saying supernatural, I'm saying natural thing, natural man, okay? It's the most natural thing in all the world to think that our thoughts and our ways are right. But they're not. They're not right. Our thoughts about our life, about faith, about the world about ourselves, about God, about circumstances, about events, about everything. Our ways and our thoughts are perverted. They're skewed. They're off. And they will lead us to a bad place. If you want to receive God's ways and God's thoughts, you must forsake yours. You must turn away from yours. Proverbs 14, 12 says this There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Psalm 94 says this the te- He teaches, speaking of God, He teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. They're futile. They're here now and they're gone. Our ways and our thoughts need to be forsaken. We need to turn away from them. In other words, you and I must repent. We must change our mind about our thinking on life and ourselves and God and truth and everything else. And we must seek daily God's thoughts and God's ways. And if we don't, there'll be this mix, you know, if God's thoughts line up with ours, that what we kind of generally think, then we'll go with that. If it doesn't, well, I don't know if I like that. We'll go with something else ourselves. We need to daily repent and seek to have our minds and hearts informed by the Bible. One thing that's a kind of a, a hot topic or a buzzword around Christian circles today is the, the word worldview, right? We need to have not just generally a Christian worldview, which we may think that our ways and thoughts just generally line up with that, but we need a biblical worldview. We need to seek to have our minds and hearts and lives, our actions, the way we parent, the way that we relate with our spouses the way that we view turmoil and difficulty, the way we view the future, the way we view everything. We need to have seek to have our minds and hearts informed by the Bible, by God's words that do not return to him empty. So forsake your ways, turn away from your thoughts, I want to be careful here, but I would even say our spiritual intuitions, okay? God has given us Holy Spirit who gives gifts, amen. Let's use them powerfully. Let's use them. But let's allow our spiritual inclinations and intuitions and thoughts that come to our mind, they need to be deeply informed by the Bible or they can quickly whisk us away. So say with me, in your heart, in your mind right now. Today, I need God's thoughts filling my mind. I need God's ways directing my path. A theologian from many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, came up with this phrase. We need to think God's thoughts after him. We have God's thoughts. We have God's words here is there anything, if what I've said about God's Word is true, and at least just reasonably you agree with me, is there anything that would be more worthy of our time than putting other things aside? Putting down, you know, the smartphone, the iPad, the computer, the surfing, turning off the television, and opening up God's Word and having our minds and hearts informed by the scriptures. I remember reading a <clears throat> poll, and it's probably outdated now. It might be better, it might be worse, I don't know. But it was, it was stunning. It at least just give us an idea of where things were and probably generally where things are at. But the amount of time professing born-again believers said they read their Bibles compared to how much time they watched television. It's breathtaking. Breathtaking. Like 30 minutes a week in the Bible and hours in front of the television. And to think that doesn't do something to our minds and to our hearts is folly, foolishness. We need to turn away from our thoughts and our ways. And we need to turn to God's thoughts and ways. The second thing We need to do is we need to change the way we think about Bible reading. And I touched on this earlier, but we need to read the Bible with a renewed mind. Repentance means to change the way you think about something. And today, if you would leave today changing the way you're thinking about the Bible, I'd say amen to that. Okay? When you open up the Bible, and if it helps to write it down on a note card and put it like, where you're going to be reading in the Bible next or something, do that. But when you open up the Bible, say, God is coming to me through his word. His aim is my joy in him. His aim is that I would be fruitful and bear fruit through a transformed life. He is sending rain to refresh right now. He is giving rain to cause life to sprout And he's giving fresh bread to nourish as I open up this book. Remember what Jesus said in the desert while being tempted. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I wonder how different that mindset is from what our mindset normally is when we open up the Bible. I don't know about you, but like at the beginning of the year, I'm always like, okay, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And there are different times throughout the year. I have to like do this check and it's many times. Okay. I'm just, I'm just, I'm admitting my fault here. There are many times throughout the year where I just have to say, okay, wait a second. This is not about checking a box saying I did my Bible reading today. Right? Are you with me? This is not about just getting through certain passages so at the end of the year I can say, I did it. It's about connecting with God. It's about His Word that comes out of His mouth and doesn't return to Him empty, but it does something in our lives. Joy and peace and life And God himself, through the God-breathed scriptures, awaits you every day. Awaits you every day. Number three, change the way you think about preaching. In our digital age with thousands of images on our smartphones, iPads, televisions that we see daily, People generally don't have a lot of patience and tolerance for Bible teaching. It just seems out of vogue with our lives. To sit here and have someone up front teaching just seems out of place. And can we make it 15 minutes, right? Can we just keep it short? Can we just get done with it fast? I want you to think about preaching differently, What if you came every Sunday to church thinking this? We're going to worship today. We're going to lift up our voices and praise Him. And then we're going to sit down and someone's going to get up and teach us. But when they teach us, God intends to come to us. God intends to, what if you said this? God intends to come to me by the preaching of His word and change me. And make me fruitful and fill me with joy and glorify himself in my joy today through the preaching of his word. And you're like, that sounds great. But what if, along with this, your preacher said this: my aim is to do that while I'm saying it. That's my aim when I preach. I don't want to give you some tips that might help you for a day or two. My aim is that you, is that God Himself would impact you as we're gathered here together. It was said of J.I. Packer, he, um, he's old now, but when he was young and in college, he went to a church that was pastored by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones and he sat under his preaching and he said the preaching of Martin Lloyd-Jones came to him like an electric current. It was so powerful. It was like being electrocuted by something, except in a good way. My desire is that God's preaching here, and pray that it would be, would be like that. That it would be powerful, be living and active, that you would be impacted deeply. It would come like an electric current to you. And the reason I feel this way is because I believe it's what God wants to do through faithful preaching. And it's my aim to be a faithful preacher. My aim in preaching is your joy your eternal joy, a strong, robust, weighty joy in the living God who speaks to us. Which is why I often preach to myself and pray the words in First Peter 4 that says this, as each one has received a gift, gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. And number four, How can you and I benefit from God's word in this way? If we become people, every one of us, every single one of us, who speak the life-giving words of God to others with this mindset, right? We get God's word into us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we want to speak this word to others. We want to speak it to those who don't know Jesus. We want to speak it to those who are sitting next to us at church. We want to speak it to our husbands, to our wives. We want to speak it to our children, but we want to speak it in such a way that we are speaking God's word that does not return to him empty, but that comes down like rain from heaven and waters the earth and causes it to bring forth and sprout and comes like fresh bread. We want to say it like that. We want to speak it like that. Like we really have something of benefit to say. Because if we don't, we might as well keep our mouth shut. Right? Because talk is cheap. Unless we're saying God's words and things from God. Speaking God's words under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit will not return to God empty. Now, some may say, it seems like it's coming up empty, though. Parents, I hear you. I have five kids. Sometimes it seems like it's coming up empty, but it won't. God's word says that it won't in sharing Christ with unbelievers. Some of you have been talking to your neighbor for a long time, or a friend or a brother or sister, blood brother or sister, who does not know Christ. And you're saying it, it feels like it's not making an impact. And I hear you. Sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating And discouraging to speak the gospel to some. You think it's the greatest news in the world. And people seem utterly disinterested or worse. Luke and I have been going down to Bethel Mission for five years now. There there are times we have, and Jason has been going with us too. We have an amazing time down there. Men respond to the gospel. They love the worship. But I'm telling you, there are times... It's like there's a brass wall between those of us up front, Luke leading worship, me speaking, and the rest of the guys there. It's like nothing gets through, right? But God's word says his words are like rain that come down from heaven, and it doesn't return to heaven in the same way God's words will not return void. Void. As it says in verse 10, the word itself gives seed to the sower. It gives seed to you and I as sowers of God's word to scatter. Wherever we go, just scattering a truth, scattering a verse, scattering a word, scattering the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, since our work in the Lord is not in vain, it's not empty. Every time we open our mouths to encourage, to exhort, to teach, to build up, whether it be at church or, or over the backyard fence, seed is being spread, and rain is coming down, and it won't return empty. And we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, right? We're called to do these things in faith, that God, in due time, will act, and his word will succeed, It will accomplish what he intended for it to accomplish through you and I speaking his word faithfully to those around us, whether it be Christian or un-Christian or non-Christian people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that though our words are weak and frail and insignificant, your words are powerful and strong and living and active and create life and produce fruit and transform and raise dead people and raise dead towns and cities and churches. raise You raise the dead and you do it by your word. I think of Jesus who uttered, to a dead man in a tomb who had been there four days, Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And that's what you do, God, is by your word, you create life. And it will not return to you empty. And God, I pray that every single person here would have a higher esteem for your word than when they came in would think this is the most precious book in all the world. And since it's God's word, since it's Holy Spirit inspired and the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to us through it and by it and comes to us by it, we would say this is, this is my most prized possession in all the world, physical possession in all the world. God, I pray you'd impact us with that truth so that we'd be men, women, families, a church that is so bible saturated that we're bearing fruit that we're refreshed and revived that we're nourished and that you'd make make yourself make a name for yourself by the transformation that takes place in our lives I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed.